You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, man. I didn't drop a podcast at all last week. I want to apologize. I had a lot of people reach out to me saying, dude, what the hell? Uh, I need my podcast fix, and uh, I apologize. Um, Life is crazy. That's all I'm going to say. Now, today, we have a gentleman by the name of Kevin Vanderplug, and he's going to talk to us about his 2017 and 2018 seasons. Um, He had a really good ride there where he harvested a really good buck on public land in Ohio, and then he took that wave and rode it back to his home state of Michigan, uh, shot two great deer there, and then another two great deer in Indiana and back in Ohio on some public ground again in 2018 and uh, basically that's what this podcast is about man just a really cool story lots of great um, information as far as what he did right uh, as far as where to look um, where he scouted uh, looking at maps um, using other people that were hunting the area as well and uh, just kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together and connected with a lot of great deer. Now, before we get into today's podcast, really quick, wasparchery.com, you need to check out their broadheads because if you don't, you're missing out. Go to wasparchery.com. They just um, put out a new head called the Havilon, and it's called the Havilon for a reason. It is... They, they did a partnership with Havilon Knives. So you take the blade technology from Havilon, really sharp, r- really durable blade, and then you take Wasp, who's known for their really kick-ass uh, broadheads, and you have one hell of a fixed blade. And I think that uh, my buddy Fred Dockerty over there at Wasp has, has talked me in to shooting uh, that head this year unless he can come up with a 150-grain 
think it was 150 grain Boss four blade. Uh, he said he might be able to hand machine for me, but we'll see what happens. Uh, other than that, yeah, check out wasparchery.com. They have a full line of mechanicals and fixed blades uh, for really whatever you need. Now, if you haven't already, please go check out the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Tons of great information there as well great content whether it's you know something to watch for fun you're looking for something entertainment or you know a lot of the videos are fun to watch but at the same time if you pay attention you can get something out of them as well so uh be able you know go over and subscribe to the sportsman's nation youtube channel and keep an eye out because we're going to be doing a ton of giveaways throughout the summer we're going to be doing some giveaways with lone wolf we're going to be doing some giveaways um, with prime archery and uh, i'm sure i can talk some of the other guys like ozonics and ripcord and wasp uh, and hunter safety systems into doing a uh, giveaway as well so keep your eyes and ears open on that and uh, please subscribe to all the podcasts share this information with your friends uh, you know tell everybody about the podcast man that's uh, that's the big thing so uh, i think that's it Let's get into today's, I guess we're just going to call it a BS session podcast with Kevin Vanderplug. All right, joining me today, Mr. Kevin Vanderplug. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing, Dan? Can't complain. Uh, it's a bright and sunny day out here in Iowa, and it uh, looks like it's going to be a, a gorgeous Easter weekend. Um, and I don't know about you, but uh, Easter means family gatherings for me and at family gatherings it's it's like just all revolves around food so i have two easter dinners in one day and uh i'm just gonna like basically need a wheelbarrow uh to get home oh man balking season i love it that's right that's right (laughs) and that's the crappy part because typically after easter's over that's the the sign for me to okay now you really got to start training for elk season which is only like five months away and um so yeah i i i I don't know about you but i i'm probably in the worst shape of my entire life right now uh i i the kids not not that there's an excuse or anything like that but the kids and like i have no routine anymore it's like my life is like out of control craziness and all these are excuses. Right. But, um, I haven't got into a good workout routine yet and I am, uh, I'm suffering from that. <laughs> yeah. That's uh Hey, you got the dad bag going. That's normal. Yeah. Hey, so. good thing. My good thing. My, uh, wife loves me for my personality, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a good thing. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, I'm right there with you. I got an elk hunt coming up as well, and uh, I'm in pretty good shape. Other than the cardio, I really kind of despise it. So, yeah, I'm in yeah. the uh, yeah. in the process of getting that done here. So, so where are you going this year? Um, we'll be going to Montana this year. Uh, first trip out west. Um, we're gonna do rifles. Um, you know, typically I'm normally a bow hunter, but it seems like bow hunting. You know, some guys go four or five years before they get one. So yeah. maybe I can knock something down with uh with a gun first take the pressure off and then go with a bow so. awesome how many different guys you going with like a group of buddies yeah we got a group of four going cool cool yeah uh, so are you going in grizzly bear country um we are not um okay. we're gonna stay more central eastern i don't think there's any grizzly bears there so 
Right. Cool, man. And this, and you said this was your yep. first Western hunt, right? This will be my first Western. One of the guys has been to Colorado and uh, kind of fell with, fell in love with out west. So, yeah. taking uh, taking his word for it. Yeah. Well, that's probably awesome. get hooked. You want to move up there? <laughs> yeah. It, it's 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 like I'll tell you what. I did a bow hunt this past year, right, in some public ground, real like steep terrain out in Colorado, like you know, deadfall, the whole nine yards, high country, elk hunt. And I'm telling you right now, I I was cursing it every second of it. But the second uh-huh. I got off the mountain and headed back to Iowa, I was wanting to do it again. Um, it is a, like, for me, it was kind of a life-changing event just because of how, uh-huh. how hard you actually have to work for this. And uh, that's nothing compared to if we would have shot one and had to drag, you know, all this hundred pounds of meat, hundreds of pounds of meat off the mountain, back down to camp and uh, making multiple trips. That would, that would, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that in a self punishment kind of way. <laughs> I think some of the best things in life are the ones you got to work the hardest for. So. Yeah. That's a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. Well, you sent me yeah. an email, uh, today or a couple days ago and, um, you know, said, Hey man, I had a pretty good season in 2000. Was it 2017 or 2018? 2018, 2018. And it, it was almost like that good season started off in 2017 and then 2018, it kind of blew up. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into all that, uh, why don't you tell us where do you live and what do you do for a living? All right. Living, uh, basically the base of the thumb of Michigan. Um, maybe an hour north of Detroit. Okay. So very small towns, but more out in the country setting, which I prefer. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I work for the, the local road commission here. Um, pretty good gig. Gives me a lot of time on the road. Um, I get four tens in the summer. Oh, nice. Uh, I do work a lot in winter. So, but yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, that I've heard of guys talk about that part of the state before, you know, eastern side of Michigan, north of Detroit, seems like, uh, and this is what I heard, um, you know, the entire state hunts almost, and, but that, you know, if you're anywhere around Detroit, it seems like a lot of people leave Detroit for the weekends, they go hunt, you know, some piece of public ground, or you know, come out into the country, and then they and then they come back into the city uh, during the week during hunting season. Is that uh, a reflection of the areas that you hunt? Um, I would say um, I think a lot of them guys would be the people that we run into up here that would be leasing uh, for astronomical amounts of land that they might shoot uh, six points off of. Yeah. <laughs> The, the public land does get hit hard as, I mean, you hear that from anybody in about every state, but right. I, I don't know if it's as bad as Ohio even. I mean, the gun seasons are probably the same, even though we have more hunters. So yeah. Yeah. It, it gets busy up there. Big tradition up here. Yeah, know? absolutely. Absolutely. So on the properties that you hunt, uh, are we talking, are they big parcels, small parcels? Are they public? You hunt a lot of private ground. What's the, what's the breakdown there? Um, right now I'm mostly hunting private ground. I do hunt some public and I definitely scout a ton of public. We have, which is the issue here is small parcels, broken woodlots. Yeah. You know, most of the deer I feel see the people coming. Um, or you might have just a bedding area. You might have just a feeding area or just a transition area. So you can't really put set patterns on deer. <laughs> yeah. So it does make it, 
So is it one of those things where the deer, like if you only have access to like 10 acres and the deer are always on that 10 acres, when you come in to hunt, you're busting them out regardless, right? Yeah. You know, especially if it's like a bean field or something, I mean, you got one side you can access from because the other neighbors aren't going to let you on. They got five people hunting on their 10 acres too. So yeah, yeah. it makes it tough. So there's some pressure. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely pressure. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what about, um, I guess, weapon of choice? Do you stick with a rifle or are you a bow hunter or do you evenly distribute? You don't discriminate. Um, I am definitely more a bow hunter, but I don't discriminate. And gotcha. uh, recently, the seasons have been more for my kids and my wife and stuff me to spend some real good quality time with them as well. Gotcha. So, gotcha. So what? Yep. Um, how many kids you got? I have two, 10 and 12. All right. So they're boy and a girl. So they are prime for getting into hunting then, right? Yeah. They've been hunting for a few years. Uh, My boy's doing pretty good. Uh, The girls are a little tougher. I'm sure you'll find out in a few years, but they're just uh, more patient. (laughs) You have to have really good rest. Everything just has to work really well with them. having a hard time getting her one. But yeah. Yeah. My, uh, yep. I almost feel like for me, it's going to be the opposite. Like my daughter, she likes to dig up worms and like play in the dirt and get dirty. My son, if he falls in the mud, he wants to go inside and change his pants. Like he's (laughs) like, he's like a neat, not a neat freak, but like just doesn't like to be dirty. Doesn't like to, I don't know, whatever. And uh, so I think it's going to flip for me. Like, I think it's going to be difficult to get my son in there. But my daughter, I think she's the one that's going to be like, all right, dad, let's get this thing gutted. You know, if we ever, if we ever get one shot. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. I'm more opposite over here. Uh, my daughter's pretty good about that stuff, but she's a little more girly girl. So, um, yeah, maybe you'll be sitting pretty good. I think the, the boys, once they get that little bit of an adrenaline rush and stuff, I think they latch onto it easier anyway. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. How old uh, How old were they when you started taking them out? Uh, they've been coming in the woods, yeah, you know, scouting and, and kind of like maybe sitting with us hunting. But I guess hunting wise, my son was eight when he started going. He shot his first deer. Um, except my daughter's a little more girly, girl, a little more dainty. So just trying to handle a gun. That's what, that's what I was getting at, like with the rest and stuff. You know, yeah. you, need, you need like a double ladder with a shooting rail or a bipod or something it just needs to be perfect so she's been hunting for a couple of years and uh no luck for her yet so gotcha gotcha well that's yep. awesome um all right so the side of the state that you hunt on why don't you break down the terrain for us right uh talk to talk about the ag talk about the timber is it flat is it hilly break it down for you know some of the properties that you that you hunt it is uh flat like most of Michigan, it's flat, yeah. um, broken, definitely broken. Um, like I said, you'll have a, like a lot of the pieces I hunt, let's say it's a 40 acre, it's 30 acres is field and 10 acres is a pretty open woodlot or something. So our fence rows, I guess, fence rows would be pretty popular around here. Yeah. Uh, most of the egg is something that the deer would want to eat, mostly beans and corn. So Gotcha. So it's it's on yep. like a a rotating basis. Corn one year, beans next year. Your typical like Midwestern ag. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, and actually, one of the deer we'll talk about today was well, both of them. I had a very good access for cornfield all around this year. Made it 
Oh, nice. Much better than the year prior getting busted by one because it was all beans. So. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you what, I have a love-hate relationship with corn. It's like, okay, if you're going to get it out, get it out before the season, like before the rut hits. And if you don't get it out after the rut, just leave it in. You know, like it, it comes to a point where you either want to get it out or you want to have it left in after a certain point. And I feel that, you know, if you want to kill a deer early, corn hurts you. But if you want to kill a, a deer later, it helps you. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I definitely agree with that. Like I said, I just got a lot. Of, I got pretty excited this year because it was corn and I have, uh, like I said, it's this property that, and when it's beans, I cannot get in there. I really don't have any other access, but so when it was corn, I was pretty, I knew I could get in there. I just didn't know if I was going to be able to, to kill them. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So 2017, um, you went to Ohio right uh and you shot a, a buck on on public ground uh i want to talk a little bit about that because it's out of state um from where you're living it, do you take a trip to ohio every year um usually um yeah u- usually it's uh their prices are going up and i got more family going to be hunting and stuff so i don't know if i'll always be able to do that but it has been that way since uh, 2015. I started hunting Ohio to uh, to no avail in 2015. So, gotcha. And then 16, we did. We ran into a pretty cool guy from North Carolina. He shot a big buck. Um, we let him borrow our sled to drag it out. And when he got back, I mean, he was super happy. Obviously, he shot this great big buck. And we asked him, "Man, how do you hunt these hills? Because it's really rugged down there." Yeah. And he kind of told how he's doing it, and then. Uh, that year in 2016, I went down with three guys, and we all come back with bucks. And then 17 was a really good year for big bucks down there. And then uh, last year, of course, was pretty good as well. So so you got a lot of information from a guy who was also hunting public land down there, right? Yep. Yeah, he's, like, he's from North Carolina, so he has a good deal of, uh, of uh, stuff with that, gotcha. with the hilly country. Gotcha. Yep. So in, in 2000, um, you went down there, you weren't having any luck, uh, for a while. Um, what was it about that property that was giving you that piece of public ground that was giving you problems? Uh, it's just like nothing we've ever seen before here in Michigan. I mean, it's like when you first pull in, it's, it looks like mountains and you're like, man, I don't think deer even lived in this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get to hike and scouting it. The, the deer numbers are not great down there at least compared to michigan uh, there's not a ton of deer signs so it was just really tough to read um we didn't that, before that i didn't hear any podcasts i believe i didn't, so I didn't hear any podcasts 2016 so i didn't really know, know anything about like the wind and the thermal type stuff either in hill country yet so gotcha that so, really helped in 17 gotcha so when you got down there and you started hunting this uh piece of public ground i mean were you able to observe what the deer were doing? Not necessarily um, get in and kill one, but actually, I mean, because you walk into this piece of public ground, and you're like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is a completely different environment than what I'm used to. I'm struggling. Were you at least able to get into the timber and watch the deer use the terrain and watch the deer, you know, go from point A to point B? Um. Uh, a few i mean our first sit or two wasn't great we actually went to a different spot before that actually we went to another place hunting and it was 
the deer just seemed really pushed back, really pressured. So we actually canceled the rest of our campsites and switched places completely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we got there. So the first day was pretty rough and we scouted the first day and a half, talked to a couple locals, did what we could, but yeah, it was really tough. Like I said, the, the, there's hardly, the runways are pretty, they're easy to pick off at like the top of the ravines and stuff. That's the only thing we really noticed, but we didn't notice that until a couple of days later. So we were just hunting spots that might have a rub or something and just wasn't seeing much, but gotcha. low deer numbers as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, that's always a struggle when you go. Um, I found that when I went to Nebraska one year, uh, you know, I could sit in a tree stand in Iowa and see, you know, potentially see 20 deer a night. And then I head out to middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and I'd see like one or two deer. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is completely different, right? I mean, it's, you don't even know what, it almost feels like you don't even know that you're a hunter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We were pretty, uh, we were pretty, uh, not prepared for it. It seemed. <laughs> gotcha. So what did, what did this guy from North Carolina tell you to do? He kept saying saddles and, uh, he was holding his hand like a, like a mountain. And then like his fingers would be like the finger ridges coming down. He was showing me, you know, the tops of the points of the ravines. That's where he likes to hunt. So that's immediately when we switched and started hunting them. Cause more, there's more sign in the bottoms, but I figured the winds were pretty nasty down there anyway, but that's what we were trying to hunt. But so we started hunting the tops then, and that really changed for us. So. Gotcha. So when you made that adjustment, did you instantly start seeing more deer, better deer, more sign? Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely more sign there. And that's, that's where we tend to put all our efforts is right there now, you know, at least during the rut. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, 2016, you guys came home with, uh, you know, with a couple deer and then 2017, you had a, it looks like you had a really good encounter with a, um, 156 inch 10 pointer, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you, I want you to break down that story, uh, with us, not a ton of detail, but not really high level. Just like, give us the, the lowdown on where you were at, what you're doing, access routes, and then like this buck coming in the sign, all that stuff. Tell the story of that buck. Okay. It's, uh, this is where I killed my deer in the first, uh, well, close to where I killed my deer in 2016. My buddy shot his deer and scouted that piece and seen a real big one back there. Um, and he said, you got to get up there. So I walked up there, seen some deer, seen these grubs that have been there for years and years. I'm like, all right, this is a pretty good spot. So I shot my deer, went home, 2017 comes. Hey, I'm going to go check that spot our first day there, scouted it. The weather was warm for the next couple of days. So I didn't want to hunt it, but I just wanted to scout it. All the rubs, year after year rubs, were not hit. So I went and poked around, hunted some other places for the next few days and waited for the first cold day to hit there. Um, this is like a like a three-quarter mile walk uphill the entire way. I got up there. And the, all the rubs are open. And I'm like, man, this is going to be perfect. And I hear a whistle. <laughs> There's a guy from Wisconsin. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. There's a guy from Wisconsin. Yeah, 25 feet up at a lone wolf in the sticks. I mean, he was doing everything right. Yeah. Um, I ran I ran into them last year, too. So we'll go into that again later. But yeah. So I looked at the wind. I, ba- I backed out a couple hundred yards, looked at the wind. Um, Looked at my map. I seen there was another 
same facing like ravine top where they would use that wind to their advantage. And I went back deeper. I guess it was another 400 yards probably. And I found that spot and there was a, a rub or two there and a pretty good runway going around the top of those really steep ravines. And that's where I set up. Gotcha. So it, as I was trying to set up, there was deer. Like before I could even get my stand on, I, I seen deer already kind of cruising. So I was actually feeling pretty good about it despite losing what I thought was the best spot. Right. And this was a evening hunt, right? Yes, this is the evening, but it was like like one I was sneaking in there. And gotcha. so I was probably getting set up at the other spot by two. Gotcha. So then uh yep. was this like wide open timber, like big woods? Was it uh you found like a pocket of really thick, nasty stuff or, or did you find a good edge? Why were the deer liking the area that you finally or what drew you to the area that you and you know, eventually ended up at? Um, the majority of that land in Ohio is big, tall, straight timber, which is why I think you see a lot of climbers down there. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also, I, I tend to keep getting busted a lot in Ohio. I don't know why the deer are walking up the hills and they can see, I mean, you can't, you can only hide behind the single trunk tree. There's nothing that really branches off out there. So it does make it tough, but, uh, I set up in that spot just because of the, the rubs and the runways cutting around that ravine top was telling me that there was definitely activity in there. And then plus, you know, the deer I started seeing. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so there was good sign, decent cover. Um, how far away were you from a food source? And probably three miles. Oh, really? So, so they, they were eating stuff in the timber then like mass acorns. <laughs> The nearest I can figure, that's all they they really eat down there. I don't know if they would travel three miles. It's not out of the realm of possibilities, I'm sure. But Gotcha. So not necessarily uh, a food source, but an ag field was th- about three miles away. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, I think it was probably corn. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All right. So you get set up in this tree, then what happens? Um, I think I got up, set up. I think I ate, ate a sandwich real quick. I think I rattled just, I don't know, seemed like the thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I just sat, sat down and figured, well, I'll be sitting there for four hours till it gets dark. Um, I did, I couldn't believe it. I looked up and had a, a really big buck coming straight towards that, like going to go around that pinch around that ravine top on that runway. Yeah. Right uh, after, right after you it. rattled? No, no, this is probably like 45 minutes after I rattled. So okay. I really can't say that that was it. <laughs> anyway so he was cruising gonna come around that ravine pinch just like i expected and uh i don't like i said i'm sit- sitting up in these big straight trees i grab my bow and i'm getting ready and he's just i can't see him anymore and uh apparently he was stopped out there and he caught me in the tree i don't know what the deal was i mean the sun was kind of shining on me but so he ca- he caught me i had a standoff with this buck which was uh, definitely a mature buck probably uh i don't know i think it was an eight point but probably almost 150 probably wow and uh, that's a big deer yeah yeah that's a big deer and like i said he busted me he he snorted and took off and i just sat down like i can't believe i screwed that up (laughs) so i sat back down and just waited for a while kind of stalking a little bit and like half hour 45 minutes later i hear a grunt behind me and there's I just turned my head to the left a little bit and there's 
that 10 point that I shot with like three does. He's like right in his nose right to the butt of the other one. Right. So I'm he like, got, they were already at like the yards. So they got pulled in. He got pulled in because the does were working their way through. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it turns out that buck, I think it was the same buck went by the guy from Wisconsin. I talked to him later. So he was trying to videotape and didn't get a shot off. <laughs> At least wow. I think it was the same buck. Could have been a different one. Who knows? Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so you, he like, how far of the shot was it? I mean, how, how far of a shot did you take as, as they were kind of coming through? Uh, 45 yards, 45 yards in the timber and, yep. and uh good shot. Yeah, there was, um, there was a little branch in front of his vitals, like the vitals, like right behind his shoulder. So I had to cheat back a little bit. So, yeah. I think ultimately, I think I got one lung and liver, yeah. which I kind of figured I was going to get. But when I got down and checked my arrow, there was there was some guts there. I'm like, man, what the heck? I thought it was straight broadside, pretty good. I mean, I knew the deer was hit hard, but my rule is if I don't see him go down, I let him lay. So that's what we did. Yeah. And then uh, how long of a recovery did, uh, did you have? Overnight? Mm, yeah, I let, I let him go overnight. That's just kind of the rule that I had. So we yeah. went back in the morning. And, he went uh, like 200 yards. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yep. was this the, was this the biggest buck you've you ever shot on your Ohio trip? Yes. Yeah. Biggest buck. Yep. Like where does this rank as far as a, a big buck is concerned for you? Um, this, this is really big coming from, from Michigan, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> four year old. You think yeah, he was? Yeah. I would say a four, either a really good three or a four. Gotcha. Um, Cool, man. So when you ended up walking, I mean, did you know what he was when you shot him? I mean, did you get a, a good enough look at him or did it happen really fast? It, it happened extremely fast. Uh, I did count 10 points, but I didn't think they were, I didn't think they were that long. It seems like them bucks don't have a lot longer times than you think. <laughs> so yeah. I thought it was like a 140s 10 point. So, well, and then when you walked up on him uh, the next morning, you were kind of surprised. Yeah, I was pretty surprised. Yeah, yeah, pretty excited. Uh, we we celebrated pretty good, so well, we had a, a heck of a drag out of this. But. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, um, is that the biggest buck you've ever shot? That is, yes. I have uh, one that's slightly behind it from Michigan from like ten years ago. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yep. cool, man. So uh, success, uh, success on public ground. What do you chalk that up to? Um. Being versatile, being mobile, um, listening to some of these podcasts, kind of figure out how these deer use that terrain and the wind to their advantage. I mean, both both these deer were were traveling the leeward side, so yeah, I, I don't know. That's about all I can chalk it up to. It seems like it's funny because it feels like it's more luck when you go out of state for a week or ten day hunt or something. I don't know why it does, but well, I like think the first year. I think the luck comes into play like whether or not a deer just walks by, but like a good hunter will know where he needs to be. Right. That takes the, that's the skill part, but just no matter how good of a hunter you are, right. You can't make a deer walk by your tree stand. Right. So everything that you do leads to finding the best possible spot, but there's still, uh, I guess a, a pinch of luck that's involved with every hunt saying that a deer has to come by this, 
this specific stand location at that particular time that you're in it, right, in order to make it happen. And I think that's where the luck could come into play. But the strategy is everything leading up to that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, it, like I said, it just seems like it's luck when you're out of state. But, I mean, you're trying to do everything right. You know, you're yeah. being versatile. You know, obviously that that guy being in the spot that I wanted to be in kind of was a little bit of a blow there for a second. But settled down, look at the map, made another decision. So Awesome. How uh, after, after you, uh, you know, found that guy from Wisconsin or met that guy from Wisconsin, did you ever have any other conversations with him? Like if he's been successful throughout the years in that spot or, or what? Um, that was their first year there. Uh, I ran into him when I walked back off the hill there that night. Uh, he had video of a deer. It could have been that one. It could have been a different. One. It was hard to tell, but he had video of it, and he said, yeah, it looks like the same one, and he said that was his first year. Um, I ran into him here last year, and turns out they have a friend down there in Ohio that's been telling them that this is a good spot, so oh, they nice. were there again last year. Yeah. Cool, cool. It's always uh funny, like, uh, I had a buddy who went and hunted some public ground. I think it, I, I think it was Ohio too. And he was telling me he was an out of stater, and he was telling me that he was running in. He didn't one time run into anybody from Ohio. It was all like a guy from West Virginia, a guy from Indiana, a guy from Michigan, and uh, I think even a guy from Pennsylvania. And uh, they they all were hunting this big chunk of public ground, but nobody from Ohio. I found, I found that kind of interesting. <laughs> I would agree with that. You see more license plates from other States than you ever do Ohio plates. I yeah. can guarantee that. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. All right. So it sounds like, uh, you walked away from that, you know, with, from that hunt with a real positive vibe leading into 2018. So, before we get into 2018, I want to I want you to uh, just tell us, you know, sh- tell us what you shot because it says here, I had a crazy year last year hunting four different bucks totaling almost 500 inches of antler, right? So two Pope and Young in Michigan and one Indiana and Ohio, the Indiana and Ohio, and I guess we're both public land. So why don't you tell us uh what added up to that 500 inches? Like break down each one of those bucks. All right. Um, the bucks here in Michigan started off, I guess they started out first, obviously. Um, in July, I had trail camera pictures. I do put in a lot of effort on my private lands, but, you know, this is hunting is my main hobby. So yeah. whatever, you put a couple weekends in on spook plots and stuff and running trail cameras, it is what it is. Uh, so they showed up on trail camera in July. Um, both together on the property that I bet at the 10 point I was hunting the year before gave me the slip with it being beans. So I felt very confident. I had two there and I knew it was going to be corn this year. So I felt really confident, but that buck the year before really pushed me to go out and I secured a few more spots in the, the general area to try to really put myself in a good position to shoot at least one of these. I was feeling confident I would shoot at least one. Yeah. yeah. How, how big so of, I, how about, how big of a piece of uh, property were these deer on that you had access to? This is the 40 acres, 30 of its field and 10 of its pretty open hardwoods. Okay. So basically you, you had 10 acres to play around with. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like one or two hunts. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, these deer showed up in July, and what were they? From a like, describe what they were. The the ten point was basically showing he was going to be a ten from the get. Um, the eight point didn't look very big at all. And, um, the 10 point ended up growing, you know, he put on like all of his inches. It seemed like by August. Yeah. So I thought he was going to end up being really big, but he never did grow much after that. The eight point really, really blew up like in August. Like he got real big. Yeah. So yeah. I, I ended up liking the looks of both of them. So that's, that's the two I was going to hunt for the year. Gotcha. As of then. Gotcha. So how big were those deer? The 10 point was, uh, mid one thirties and the eight point was, upper 120s okay and that's for for michigan is that considered that's considered good though right that's a good a good set of deer yeah uh michigan i mean our commemorative bucks and i agree with it says that you know a trophy or whatever would be 100 inches to be recognized and i i agree with it unfortunately our age structure is just not that great so you're looking at once you start getting into two-year-olds you're doing pretty good and the bucks that i'm trying to harvest now are three so Gotcha. They're very few and far between. That is the best trail camera pull I had in years. So <laughs> yeah, that probably makes a guy happy. I know it makes me happy whenever I walk into uh, the timber, you know, July and uh, check my trail cameras and some of the deer from the previous year show up or a good, you know, you have a really good card pull and it makes you get you jacked up for the upcoming season. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly what it did. You know, I finally had some deer that I really wanted to. Really wanted to hunt. I've been trying to shoot just Pope and Youngs. I know it seems weird, trophy hunter, whatever you want to call it, but I get to hunt a lot, so I'm trying to set some standards where I just shoot, try to shoot Pope and Youngs if I can. So that's my limit for getting a deer shoulder mounted as well. Yeah. So I mean, that's these good. These deer were what I wanted to start. Yep. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. That's what, like, I, I love listening <laughs> to uh, people, you know, they start ranting about, you know, trophies or they age or meat or whatever. Like, I am under the impression that if you want to shoot a deer, you can shoot a deer. It doesn't matter what it is. If you want to shoot a four corn, and you you're gonna, you shoot a four corn. If you want to shoot a doe, shoot a doe. If you if your goal is to just like if if you say you're a meat hunter and you kill a four corn, man, that's fine with me. I don't care. You're hunting. You're buying a a license. You're supporting the tradition. And that at the end of the day, I think that's what's the most important. Yeah. No, I agree. Yep. I agree. I just, I think everybody has a tendency to be a trophy hunter and uh, whether they want to admit it or not, that's my only thing. <laughs> yeah. People, if there's a big eight point stand next to a four point, what's everybody going to, what's the meat hunter going to shoot? Oh yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. Antlers, <laughs> antlers kind of trump everything, right? Exactly. Yeah. So. And you know, guess yeah. what? You can eat, you can eat a buck too. You can eat their meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, there's more meat on the bigger ones usually. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so now we have this, uh, you know, you got these two deer in Michigan in the back of your head. Um, when did you start hunting for them? Um, well, I knocked, like I said, I knocked on some doors. I gained permission on another 33 acres where I assumed they were betting, um, where I assumed they were betting last year that were the one that was catching me. Yeah. And then I gained another 40 acres down the road as well. So I really pushed myself this year to, try to put myself in the best position yeah. to get on these bucks. So what's the, uh, what's it like knocking on doors in a high pressure state like Michigan? It's usually not good. 
Um, it's in a area that I was working years ago, farming and helping out on a farm. And I, I get to know people around, so I do all right at it, but you definitely get a lot of no's, especially if you're out of your elements. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it is what it is. It, it's tough to walk up to a door, but you know, what's tougher is to not have a buck that you want to shoot in a season. So, yeah, I tell you what, even around, you know, seven years ago, I seven to 10 years ago, I could go and knock on doors in Iowa and get majority of the time, get access, right? Uh, if there was another hunter there, they would just tell me, okay, yeah, I don't care if you hunt, but stay away from this area. Right. Okay, cool. Now yep. when I go and knock on doors, man, I, I don't know if I've ever, I've been told yes in several years, like every door I've knocked really? on now. Yeah. Has somebody hunting it or, you know, they know a guy or the kids or a family member <laughs> and it's getting very, very hard to find knock on door permission ground, even in Iowa. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder why that is. It shows our numbers are declining, but yet it's getting harder. So well, I, don't, I don't know. I think what's happening is as these farmers, right. Uh, and that's what the landowners typically are in Iowa. As these farmers start to die off, go into nursing homes, uh, pass their ground on to their children, their children don't, aren't farmers. So they sell the land. Uh, they sell it, to, you know, especially the good hunting ground to out of staters or, uh, someone else who is going to like a recreational hunter or recreational land user. They come in buy the land and they're going to hunt it. And that displ- displaces all the local hunters. And now the local hunters have to hunt public ground and that's overwhelming already, right? The public ground's overwhelming already. And so when a when a piece of property is sold, there's there yeah, there's people hunting on it, but I bet you there's more hunters that are displaced because of that transaction than there are who are actually hunting that piece of property. So let's say one guy buys a hundred acres let's say there's three guys hunting a hundred acres. One guy comes in and buys it. Now there's only one guy hunting a hundred acres and those three guys have to go find someplace else. So now it gets really cutthroat. You know what I mean? Um, oh yeah. yeah that's, that, that's my method. Any, that's my, my theory anyway. Oh no, I, I, I get it. Yeah. So yeah, we got a lot of people up here that like to like to try to come lease land out, especially if you're, if you're shooting pretty good bucks, they'll kind of, figure it out and try to lease the land out from under you. Yeah. It's happened a couple of times. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you got access to all this other ground. Uh, then, then what happened? I mean, did you put more trail cameras out? No, I, I generally just use the trail cameras for inventory. I mean, I leave them up year round, but I really only check them like if it's on a way to a hunt. So I just kind of use them to see what I got in the area to find something that I want to try to hunt. Yeah. Um, so we gained access on these properties. I uh, picked a Saturday, me and a buddy went out and scouted and, uh, we walked into this first piece. that's kind of attached to where I sh- shot the one where the, both of them were on trail camera. Uh, and we blew, we blew them all out. Actually, we blew all the bucks out, which I kind of figured was going to happen, but I needed proof that that's where they were at. Oh man. And it worked out good because they weren't on the other property that we were going to next, which turned out to be very good. Gotcha. Um, so we just hung a couple of stands. I think what really helped this year was when we did that, it was a Saturday. We got in and out, hung all our stands in one day, and it was before a rain day. And I think it really helped on the other property. 
I think if you go back in three, four times messing around with it, I think you're pretty much screwing it up. Yeah. So you blew all the deer out of it, and did they end up going to the other property that you had access to? Um, kind of. I mean, they weren't, like, as velvet started coming off, they kind of separated anyway, so I figured they weren't going to live in the same woodlot, so, and that, that ended up kind of being their summer bedding for the most part, at least with corn on. Gotcha. Um, so like I said, we blew them up of there, set our stands up, we went to the other property, and uh, we found, uh, found the best buck bed I've ever found in my life. It was obvious that one of the bigger bucks in the area has been there for years, and I knew he wasn't there because I just bumped him out of the other spot. So we hurry up and set up that property and then got out of there. Right. Which I think was key. So you blew the deer out. You you blew the deer out. You knew a big, a big buck was in it. And then you went, you quickly went to the other property, set up uh, a couple like a stand locations. Right. And knowing he was probably going to come back to that, the new property. Yes. I had, judging from that bed and the old sign that was in there, I figured one of those bucks would be better there at some point during the season for sure. Gotcha. And there was already some stands there. It's not like I completely blew up that property. There were some stands there from people that had hunted it, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. So a couple, one of them was in a good spot, just trimmed it up, moved a couple other ones, and then got out of there. Okay. All right. So when did you start attacking that piece of property and really start focusing on trying to kill, you know, one of these bucks that you identified as shooters, you know, in July? Um, immediately. Okay. And what, when you say immediately, are we talking early October? October 1st is our opening day. And I spent the first two days on the property that I originally got the trail cam pictures of. Okay. And I bounced around there. Um, there was like no rubs, no sign, you know, cause I wasn't in there for like a month and a half after we set those stands up and I think it was late August or whatever. Yeah. I uh, walking in there you know, I set. I have stands already sitting there. I've been hunting that property for years. Um, so I sat a couple safe, like, observation spits, and there was, like, nothing going on. No rubs, no scrapes, nothing. I threw one more hunt on the other side of that property the second day. The third day, I threw a sit on the property where we bumped them out of, and that was all just does in there, just piles of does, no bucks. So October 4th was a good cold front, and that's when I went to the other property to hunt that bed, and that's when I ended up shooting that 10-point. And was this a, was this an afternoon hunt or a morning hunt? This is an afternoon hunt. All of them, all of them were. I think they were work work days, so they were all afternoon hunts. Okay, so it was an afternoon hunt when you went to this new property, and you said you went to go hunt that bed. You didn't set up on that bed per se. What'd you do? Set up on like a, a trail or a transition to a food source? Walk us through that. Yeah, the one stand was on an inside corner of of a field butted up next to some really thick stuff that was only that stand itself was only 70 yards from the bed. Okay. Um, one of the other ones that I had set up was on the other side of the property and that one was only probably 70 yards from the bed. So I was going to go to one of those two. Uh, I tried to get to the back one that I set up and there was, there were so many deer out there already that it was not happening. So I backed back up and basically crawled my way to the other stand so it's hard for me to explain. I guess it's about 25, 30 yards to the corner edge of the woods, and there's only 35 yards of woods to the bed. 
pretty thick woods. Yeah. So, yeah, and uh, like I said, tons of deer, tons of little bucks. I mean, they you can tell they kind of hadn't been hunted there on that property in years. They were just all over the place. But yet, these big bucks actually had two come out of the bedding area. I didn't get a good look at the one. But they come out basically a couple minutes to closing time, still on an unpressured piece of private ground that hasn't had a hunter in years. If that ex- tells people what they're dealing with, you know, I figure both these deer are three years old they already have those habits <laughs> so, so the, the 10 point yeah go ahead and finish the story like like when did you see him like walk us through the kill it was getting to the time where i'm like man i ain't gonna see nothing and like i said it's getting starting to get dark yeah you know, like i said maybe 10 minutes till closing time and i hear some stuff coming from the woods and it, to me it sounds like coons like a bunch of raccoons coming or something and I couldn't see him in the woods really. And then one stepped out of the field. It might even been that big eight point. I couldn't tell. There was so there's a lot of trees and leaves and stuff on that tiny year. But that one stepped out, and I couldn't really tell what it was. And then went the other way. And then I I kept hearing something coming. And the the other one stepped out right in the corner of that field. There was a scrape there, and he stepped out right underneath it, and worked the scrape a little bit, and then walked down the edge of the fence row right past me you know with maybe five minutes left like at a 10 yard shot what a perfect shot so you nailed him (laughs) i nailed him and it was he must have been cornering two a little bit but i nailed him but he well it took him a while to expire like i got nervous he he, he ran about 30 yards and just stood there for a while yeah and then just bedded down as it got dark so i just kind of waited in my stand for for quite a while until i got out gotcha so then, yep. uh, what was, what was this buck? I mean, did you, did you end up scoring him? Yep. That was the, um, the 130, I don't remember what his final score is. Dry score was 127 or something like that and now, after deductions. Gotcha. So, uh, so 130 inch, uh, 10 pointer in Michigan, great buck. Uh, was this one of the biggest deer that you've killed in Michigan? Um, yeah, that's the second biggest deer I killed in Michigan. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> All right. So real fast, talk to us about the other buck here in Michigan before we move on to your public land bucks on the other, in the other States. Well, Indiana comes next, but it's up to you. What you want me oh, to talk Indiana about. comes next. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, yeah. this. So, um, All right. you made a, you made a public land trip in October to Indiana. Yep. Yep. A little bit later in October. Okay. Um, First time, first time going there. All right. And uh, how we picked it is how we seem to pick our other ones. We just looked for really rugged terrain, um, despite the public land pressure. Unlike flatland, I feel like the deer just have a chance to make it. You know, a hundred acres of rugged public land hunts like five hundred acres of this Michigan land. I mean, you, you can't kill all the bucks out of there. So, and we got pretty good at, it. like I said, three years successful in Ohio hunting the really rugged ground. So we just picked something that basically mirrored it and picked a spot in Indiana and went there. Um, both places have like a lot of horse trails and horse traffic. And I think it kind of gets the deer slightly more used to human pressure, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so we went there and scouted for a couple of days and it was uh, a little more sign, but it was you know, towards the end of October. So we're like writing like prime scraping and stuff. There's a lot of scrapes and stuff. 
but we weren't seeing hardly any deer. And it turns out they were having like the big last horse camping weekend and Halloween weekend for the kids. And it was packed when we pulled in the campground. So we were a little nervous, <laughs> and, but there was really no hunters really. They were all just people and horse people and stuff like that riding trails. But so, but the pressure, it wasn't like that was hunting pressure because I, I, if I had to guess that section of timber had horses run through it all year round or all summer long. Yeah. Yeah. Most likely the horse trails are pretty beat up and it, like I said, this being the last weekend for the year that, that, that horse people really had the deer pushed back. I mean, we just weren't seeing anything like nothing moving. So we were getting really nervous. So how many days of that, uh, how many days of that, like how many days of not seeing any deer? That was like two days in there where we hardly seen any deer really. Um, and then it was a, it was a weekend and it got really cold and windy and it seemed like the people stopped. And that night we started seeing deer. So it was looking better, but we were still like, we still felt a little more rushed. We're like, man, there's still not a lot of deer here. We only got a few more days. So, yeah. So then you ended up, uh, you ended up going to, uh, uh, new spots or did you just kind of wait those spots out? We were hunting two different locations from what we scouted. Uh, the hardest part was getting away from the horse trails because they were on the, the ravine, they were on the tops of the ridges and we like to hunt where those ravine pinches come up and they were very close to the horse trails and you can't really hunt that close there. So we had a hard time finding spots we wanted to hunt. So we had one other spot on the other side of the property that we were hunting, lots of scrapes and stuff not seeing much there. So we started hunting here again, which is really, really mirrors where we hunt in Ohio. Same okay. exact type of terrain and stuff. Gotcha. So, I mean, as the week or as the time that you spent in Indiana, like started going on, were you starting to have doubts of, man, there's just too many people here. You know, the, the horse, the people riding horses really screwed this up. You know, the, it's just, you know, were you, were you kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to hunt, but I'm not going to see anything. Yeah, we were, we were trying to debate what to do to get away from the, the horse people. Cause that was what was pushing the deer back. And, um, yeah, we were getting nervous, but then, like I said, that last night it was really cold and windy and we seen deer that night. My buddy seen a, a buck chasing a doe and then he seen one other buck. And then I had the same buck come by me <laughs> and, um, so we were feeling actually better about the next day's hunt. We were starting to see some deer moving and cruising. So, Gotcha. All right. So, uh, and when was this? This was like right around Halloween or was this November by then? That day was October 28th. Okay. October 28th. Um, so we heard. Yep. Gotcha. All so right. Then the, the 29th came around and uh, I left my stand in the same spot. I just had that. It was a decent eight point come underneath me, like a hundred inches probably. It was the same one my buddy had seen. So I hunted that same exact spot the next morning. Um, and it was, it was pretty cold. I bumped one deer on the way in. I was sitting there and I just had this nice eight point just come kind of cruising around the edge of the ridge, heading right the same exact path that eight point was on the night before, which come right underneath my tree stand. So I had to make a decision if I wanted to shoot him. His frame was huge. So I, I already made a decision to shoot him. I didn't get a great look at him. He comes straight into the base of the tree almost, and he stopped behind another tree, and I drew back. 
and I was directly in the sun. So all they could see was the edge of his antlers on either side of this tree. And he, he just picked up some movement from me and he just, we had a standoff for probably like three minutes. <laughs> so I held my bow back for about two of those minutes probably and then, and then let it down. And uh, he, he got nervous. Did he, he bust he you? He got nervous when I let it down. He, he didn't really know what it was. He, I mean, he knew something was there, but he didn't, he didn't get too, too bad. He turned and started to trot off and I stopped him with a, with my mouth, the doe bleat. And I had to guess, I guessed the yardage and everything. Um, and I got, I got a shot off and he, he ducked the arrow a little bit where I misjudged yardage, one of the two, but I spined him. So nice. I got another arrow in him. Yeah. Nice. So, and that, it was, like I said, his frame, his frame looks like he should be like 130 inches, but he was uh, just shy of 125, eight point. He just didn't have any brows, but he was real heavy. Awesome. So, real nice deer. But, you yep. know, I find that, I find that if, who I was talking to someone about this the other day. If you can go into a place that you've never been been before, right? And this is where I think people yep. get so caught up on antler size. If you can go into a a property that you've never hunted before, read the terrain, read the sign, have encounter with deer, and shoot one. I don't care if it's a young deer or a, a, a doe, a young buck or a doe. You that's that's still pretty good to be able to go into a place you've never hunted before and have an encounter. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I actually ran into that problem when I went to Ohio. I let a, I let a nice buck walk that I probably shouldn't have, but just trying to get a little greedy. I think you got to keep in mind when you go on these one week hunts that you're going to, if you do everything right, you're going to have one or two encounters and you need to just pick, pick that buck. If it's something that's going to make you somewhat happy or whatever, that's the one you better shoot. You're not going to get 10 encounters. I mean, <laughs> They're great states, especially compared to Michigan, but it's not, it's not like that. So. Yeah, absolutely, man. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, another great deer in Indiana on public ground, uh, just kind of a hang and bang run and gun setup. Um, then where did you go back to Michigan or did you jump over to Ohio? Yeah, that was the morning hunt of the 29th. Um, I'm way to get my buddy for the evening hunt. My wife calls me and says she missed that eight point, the big eight point that I shot. Oh boy. So, which I wasn't hunting him because he was not, he wasn't in the area. Like I stopped hunting that area. There's no sign or nothing in the area back home. So I stopped hunting it. I told her to go ahead and hunt it if she wants. There was other deer in there. Um, so she missed it. And then on the way to get my buddy, he calls and says, dude, I just shot one. So he shot one the night, the, the night of the 29th in Indiana as well. So. And we were going to continue to hunt till like the first or second and then meet our buddies in Ohio. But we decided to just handle the deer and then get home for a day or two. And then that's when I hunted that a point that went back home to Michigan and hunted that one <laughs> on Halloween night. And, <laughs> and I got snuck into my stand pretty good. Um, I had two does catch me just before I got in the stand. They were standing just in the corn. I didn't see them. They kind of ran through the bedding area, which is on the neighbor's property. I didn't really think nothing of it. They didn't really blow or nothing. I got in the stand. I mean, I knew she had just seen them in there and it was a good, pretty good spot. Um, this is a stand that we've killed some pretty good bucks in there before. So just before dark, I hit one doe bleed. I think that's all I, that's all I did. One doe bleed. And like instantly I heard some bucks not not fighting hard but like sparring 
in that big eight point has been hanging with like a hundred inch eight point. And immediately I kind of thought, I bet you that's him. <laughs> so what I think was the key here was I didn't call again because they took forever to come in. You know, it's starting to, starting to get a little late. Um, but like I said, they were sparring back there. I knew I had two bucks within 150 yards of me. And they walked through the center of the woods and I just, I could never see his rack, but I could see his body. I knew it had to be him. Yeah. And um, he stopped out there for, you know, like five minutes, not moving. And I think, you know, I think maybe a little more inexperienced hunter, I think would have tried calling at him, but I knew that he had heard the call anyway. So I just stayed silent and uh, he turned and come right towards me, right through a bunch of thick stuff. So I never, it was really a hard time getting a good look at him just to make sure it was him. But um, I ended up shooting that one at probably 25 yards, quartering two a little bit. So, so by this time you're on a roll. I mean, you must be flying high. You know, that's, that's three bucks with your bow, right? Yep. Three bucks with your bow, uh, two different States. And it's not even like really the rut yet. Yeah, that's yeah, all all in October so far. Yeah, so, so what was going yeah, through flying what, high was, Yeah, what was going through your head at this point? I did I debated whether to actually tell my wife that I just shot him because I figured she'd be a little apprehensive. <laughs> she'd be a little upset. <laughs> yeah. Nah, she uh she was all right with it. <laughs> so yeah, I shot him, made a really good shot. He he did like a little half circle around me. He only ran like 20 yards. It was awesome. You know, when you hit the heart and you just, their front legs are just basically out from under him. Yeah. One of the legs kind of frozen through the woods. It was sweet. So he went down right underneath my stand. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Flying high for sure. <laughs> and, and, and the cool part was, so at this point, all the pressure's off, you know, for the season, right? Before you even go on your Ohio hunt, which the previous year you, you smoked a stud on right so you're going yep. you're going back to ohio that you just came off of well really two years of success on on the public ground there um now you get to ohio and what's the date when you start hunting in ohio i think it was like the second or third i think we got there yeah and and what, um like walk us drove, through what was drove. the what was the plan? Did it change because you already had three deer under your belt this year? Or were you just going to go and attack it the same way that you did the, the previous years? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to attack it. It's funny. Like, as soon as I shoot a big buck, it's like the next day. I need to get on a big buck. I need to get. I need to do this and just keep working at it. So, it was, yeah, it was, I was not slowing down. <laughs> um. Yeah, so we got there and did a little scouting, just a little driving around, and I got to the spot where I had harvested the last two years, the general area anyway, and they had logged it. So I was—I didn't know what to think about that one. <laughs> so um, we picked some other spots off the maps, same type of thing, the tight ravine pinches. You can see them on a topo map pretty easily, uh, like hunt stand terrain or probably an onyx topo map. You can pick this stuff up. Um, so we went and hunted a couple different ones, just kind of on the, out of the blue. So the spot I got to that wanted to hunt or scout was logged. So I just abandoned it for that day anyway. Okay. And, uh, we went and just picked a spot off the map. Me and my buddy wanted to go to the other side of the property, which we did. 
and he dropped me off at a spot and he went to another spot. Um, picked the spot off the topo map, like I was saying, pretty easy to pick up on a hunt stand, hunt stand terrain map or an onyx topo. That's kind of how we look at any of that rugged terrain. It's very easy to figure out. Um, picked the spot there, seen that buck breed that doe that night, and I knew instantly I was coming back in the morning. Um, like I say, in the buck to doe ratio is not, not a lot of does, you know, quite a bit of bucks. So if you see a doe, you need to be hanging in there, obviously. Plus it was getting bred. So that's where I needed to be in the morning. And that's where I went for next morning. Yeah. So what happened? I mean, you get back yeah. there. Was it just like a, 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 a typical setup or what happened? Yeah. I scouted my way in, standing sticks on my back. Um, I found the, the ravine prints that I was looking at on the map and it had heavy runways going around it and um, some rubs. So that's where I set up. Seen that one that night, went back the next morning um, and it was pretty calm, pretty seemed calm and dead in there. And then uh, I had a buck and a doe come up out of the bottom. They were heading straight for me, but I don't know what, I don't know how the heck they picked me off. Like I said, Ohio's been rough rough on me they they must have picked me in the tree i don't even understand how it's happening but they took off the other way and i got a look at it and that was like a one uh, like a mid 140s 10 point okay. with that doe from the night before okay so they'd already busted me in my stand so i got down and i stalked them and i almost got a shot on the ground at him <laughs> but it didn't work out obviously um so I kept hunting that area for the next couple of days because I seen that buck and obviously that was a pretty big buck and that's the one I wanted to try to kill. I was no pressure from the rest of my season. And I think I just put too much pressure on that area. Um, cause I never seen him. I seen him the next day and then the next night. So I seen him like three days or three hunts in a row. He was in there and then he was just gone. Yeah. So he probably um, bred that fast. doe and then went looking for another one. Uh, that with mixed with a little bit of the pressure from you, you know, probably just all kind of piled up. Yeah. And I was bouncing around, you know, I wasn't sitting in the same tree. You know, I was set a different tree every day usually, Yeah, you know, but within 150 yards, but it just, you know, the one night I had him underneath my stand, it was just dark. It was just too dark. So, I mean, I almost, almost got a shot off. All right. So (laughs) you ended up bouncing someplace else and then uh, that's where the magic happened. Yeah, well, no, because uh, we went we went back to the other place. We hunted some. Had uh, my other buddy shot a nice, like a three year old six point, just a really nice six point. I seen a lot. I seen some other deer, big deer, hunting the whole week. I had a really good hunt. Um, just I, I let I let an eight point go there in that same spot where that ten point was. I let like a hundred and twenty inch eight point go, yeah. like seven yards underneath my tree stand. I should have shot him, but anyway. So I went home empty handed that trip. Okay. And then uh, me, me and one of the other buddies that had a tag left, we went back for one of their late gun seasons. It's only like a two-day season. Okay. Uh, the weather was crap, but we were like, hey, we're go down and try to fill our tag. It was like 50 degrees and rain for the whole weekend. <laughs> I didn't have high hopes, but I wasn't going to be picky neither. So um, I basically walked all day and then ended up where I shot my deer in 16, where my buddy shot his deer last year you know, 300 yards from where I shot my big one. That's where I ended up for like the last three hours of the evening. And it was like raining and fog. I was getting cold and I had four bucks come over the ridge right to me. 
one walked right by me. I'm sitting on the ground with a gun and one walked right by me. And I just, I picked out the biggest one. There's, like I said, there was four. I picked out the biggest one and, uh, finally got a shot off on it. Probably like 50 yards with a gun. Wow. Man, (laughs) that is, uh, one hell of a, one hell of a year. So it's almost like you went undefeated right for bow bow season i mean you went you, you, you had a 75 percent success rate with the bow but then you came back for a little uh revenge i guess you could say and uh, sealed the deal with the <laughs> rifle but on uh on that ohio tag but uh that's uh that's awesome man i uh that's that's one hell of a season yeah no i completely happy with it you know i got to spend a lot of time hunting with my uh my kids uh like i said i got my son his first bow buck there in the middle of october um then second day of gun season he shot another eight point that he'd been wanting to shoot so and then hunted with my daughter for the rest of the season it was, it was awesome cool so, we we'll hope so, i can do it every year not only did you get yours but you got to spend some time helping your kids and uh family get theirs yep awesome. yeah which is what i really like to really like to do after hunting with kids and stuff i like to help people out i mean i always have but i've been a little more you know secretive and stuff but i would like to just help people have similar successes or have as much fun in the outdoors as i do yeah absolutely you know like our out-of-state hunts are are no scouting we just go down during the rut you know you maybe scout the first day or two but you sit you know prime spots pinch points and stuff that are quite a ways off the road usually yeah um just trying to let people know that you can go especially people from these tougher states you know you can go shoot a deer that you'll be really happy with in a week hunt i don't i don't believe it's that hard but to at least get in a, a couple encounters right yeah yeah you're gonna see deer that you will be happy with in in a one-week hunt you know you're, you're talking you know 150 200 tag of 20 a night campsite you know you can if you don't eat out you can you can do it really cheap you know anybody can go do it you know we usually make meals and stick them in the crock pot frozen and then when you get back at night there hot meal waiting for you that's awesome cool man well congrats on an awesome season last year and i bet you just like many of the listeners you're jacked for uh this upcoming season already oh yeah can't wait all right man i really appreciate your time thank you hey thank you and there we have it. That's the kickoff podcast of this week on the Sportsman's Nation. Hopefully everyone is having a really good week. Hopefully everyone has a great Easter. Go spend some time with your family. Um, go uh, eat a lot and uh, try to spend as much time outside as humanly possible. That, my friends, is what I'm going to try to do. And uh, other than that, man, if you haven't already, go check out all the social media, right? I need everybody to start following the Sportsman's Nation on Instagram and on Facebook, go to the Nine Finger Chronicles and make sure you're following the Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram and Facebook and make sure you're visiting the Sportsman's Nation website, sportsmansnation.com and uh, check out all the blog articles there as well, man. We are dropping recipes, how-tos, product reviews, man, tons of information uh, on the uh, Sportsman's Nation blog as well and we have videos on the YouTube channel, so just follow everywhere dude it's only going to get better 
and uh, we got a short film coming out sometime soon that I'm going to promote the shit out of so you'll see it uh, it's going to be badass about turkey hunting family tradition all that stuff little sneak peek uh, and uh, huge shout out to Kevin for hopping on the podcast huge shout out to the partners of this podcast Hunter Safety Systems Lone Wolf Wasp Ripcord Ozonics and Prime and uh, and I think that's going to do it man if, you got, if you're going to be doing anything out in the woods maybe uh, you're an early tree stand getter upper uh, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness have a good week